Mel Tempest is known as a fitness business influencer, hands-on health club owner, ebook author, and presenter. Mel has known to be controversial, challenges the status quo, and lives outside the square. Her skill set is current on trends, savvy, and in demand. Her primary goal is to get more health club owners moving towards innovation, technology, and social media success. Her own success comes through tough and humble beginnings. Mel Tempest now presents to you the Gym Owners Podcast. More than just the business of fitness, proudly supported by National Fitness Business Alliance. Well, good morning. This morning I have Thomas Plummer with me. Thomas Plummer has been working in the fitness industry for over 30 years. Though he's not one to brag, he's known as the fitness business guru. Throughout his years as a road warrior, maverick and leading consultant of the fitness industry, he has seen it all. He's the founder of the National Fitness Business Alliance. He's no holding back, say it like you mean it, leave out all the bullshit approach is what makes him not only one of the best speakers in the industry, but by far the most entertaining. These days, These days, he has found his true calling in life coaching and helping people find their true purpose in life, helping them set and reach goals and asking tough questions to get them thinking about their future. Tom has a unique approach to guiding and leading the way with a blunt way of telling you things you don't want to hear but need to hear. He truly is on a mission to change lives. Good morning, Thomas. Hi, Mel. Thank you. It's, I don't know if I can live up to that introduction. I, I might have to come back in a few years. That's, <laughs> that one scared me. You may have to do my PR for me. So. Uh, you're very so, welcome. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, sadly, yeah, a lot of years of experience. They're probably closer to 40 now. I think actually wow. this will be my 40th year. So, well, that's amazing. Um, been around for a while. So, so I hear you have some interesting questions for me today. So what are we going to talk about? I, I certainly do, Thomas. Listen, I've, I've been speaking to some club owners uh, back here uh, home, and um, some of them have said, look, I'd love it if you could ask Tom some of these questions for me. So let's head it off with the first question, which is from Greg Porter from Crunchy's Health and Fitness here in Australia. He says, Tom, which gym chain fitness model or health and wellness studio do you think has the best model for the current climate and which model is best suited to be a one-stop shop for future trends? Jeez, we could spend an hour on that question now just by itself. Uh, the, the thing I would like anybody that's in the business or thinking about how they're going to survive in the next five years would be to not look for any one player because players rise, they fall, you know, they have peak years. There's a point where they all kind of at some point self-destruct. So I would look more at what business model is working today and what's sustainable. I also, I think one of the biggest things to start with there is that there's no, you don't want to be a one-stop shop. Uh, That's a mistake that the big chains make. That's why many of them worldwide um, are are not doing so well as they used to. That one-size-fits-all, I have fitness for everybody, that was a very popular thing back in the 90s, but it's a failing business model now. So the the concept going forward, uh, at least for I see it for the next 10 years, is going to be a very target-specific market. I'm going to go for that client that wants results, will pay for results, understands coaching and what coaching is about, 
And they're probably going to do it in a smaller, more community environment. Uh, so that's the, the ideal one is going to be somewhere most likely going forward is 6,000 to 12,000 square feet or 600 to about uh, 1,200 meters. And it's going to be one that caters toward that select client where I might have somewhere between three to 500 clients paying me a little higher average, but everybody's there for results. Everybody's there trying to, to get it done, so to speak. But they, they understand that the product is coaching. That's what they're buying, and that's, that's what they're looking for. Um, many of the chains out there are trying to emulate this, but many times they're just too big and too late to it. Many of the brands that have popped up over time are, are having to evolve or fade away completely. Um, you have a lot of any times, for example, in Australia. And over here, they're letting them evolve into training gyms where they're going away from this little community membership gym to actually a training-based gym. And uh, I think that's great for the leadership uh, for many time. I think that's very forward-thinking. But they're letting the business model itself evolve. So to answer that question directly, I would look at the business model. Is it sustainable now? Is it, is it based on a target-specific client, not everybody? And am I willing to let that technology or my, my base model evolve as time goes by? Uh, I'm not so much into the brand names, but I'm into how the business is delivered and how the coaching experience is delivered. And that's what the common th theme is now for the successful training gyms. Okay. So, Thomas, let's just take a, a step back for a moment. You speak about training gyms. So, for those in the American, uh, sorry, the Australian market, um, that terminology is something that they quite don't understand. So, what is a training gym? It, it, a training gym is, uh, well, it's easier to start with a mainstream gym. If I look at a mainstream big box gym, it could be somewhere around uh, 3,000 meters to 6,000 meters, somewhere in there, 30,000 feet and bigger. And if I'm looking at that size gym, then it's there's a traditional model that goes with that. I might have 5 or 6% of my clients involved in one-on-one -on -one training. Uh, I've got the traditional old group exercise rooms you know, down the hall doing Les Mills or something like that. I've got, uh, you know, the uh, maybe a couple of uh, soft group rooms like yoga or something going on. I've got uh, 75 pieces of cardio and a sea of fixed plane equipment. And I, I, it's just, you know, everybody, if I say that, everybody can imagine that box. So, so imagine the opposite of that box where I maybe have somewhere around, 6,000 to 12,000 square feet, you know, 600 to 1,200 meters. And I'm looking at this going, okay, uh, what do I, the client and that client is usually the one that is, is, is totally different than you get in the other one in, in the mainstream boxes. A lot of mainstream box clients are there because of the price. It's a low price or it's, I'm, I'm asking I'm renting equipment. I'll pay you, you know, $39 a month to come and use your treadmills. In a training gym, people will pay more, but they're getting leadership and coaching at every step. So one of the first uh, definers of coaching gym or training gyms is how much coaching am I getting for the money I'm paying? And in a training gym, everybody gets help. Everybody gets coaching, not 5 to 6% like most of the big chains worldwide. Everybody gets help. So that's the first criteria. Second is the level of coaches is usually far superior. Um, the big the big gyms tend to do pretty good with that, but they can't. You, you've got too many trainers, too many part timers, too many entry level coaches, too many. There's not enough ongoing support, 
So the quality of coaching in a smaller training gym is almost always very much superior to what could be found in the chains. The chains could solve that problem if they start to understand that what they're selling is not rental equipment, but the fact that they're selling results, then it would be pretty easy to change that. And there's companies over here that have already started to do that. Another aspect of the training gym is it's usually done in every, every experience is coaching meaning I might have team coaching, uh, which is usually geared toward a 24 to 40-year-old market, for example. Um, next generation CrossFit-style training, but it's safe, it's moved on, the coaches are better, more experienced. I might have small group for intensive coaching. I could have one-on-one training. But everybody's there paying a fee to get some level of coaching, be it that I get the coach one-on-one or perhaps I share the cost of the the coach or in another, I just there because it's 20 people screaming an hour and having a great time on the floor. So uh, the definers, everybody gets results. Everybody gets there. The client will pay more for the results. The client's not there because it's the cheapest gem. They're there because that's where they're most likely to get the results they need. Okay, fantastic. So let, let's stick with the training uh, gym discussion. So let's assume that um, somebody like Greg wakes up tomorrow and he says, okay, my new avenue is going to be a, a training gym and I'm going to start all over again. What is a great way to start uh, with brand building, to start with his personal brand, but also how does he go about selling results so that he can get people coming to him to, um, to become a member of his training gym? There, when people start with the brand, that's that, that's actually it's more common in the area of, in the era of social media than it ever was before because we didn't think about the brand as much because the brand was a sign, it was a location back in the day, but now the brand has become personal because of uh, because of social media. So if I'm trying to build a brand, I'm trying. I, I've got to start with that. But also, we can control our brand and image much more tightly now because of social media. So I can look at you know ten kilometers from my gym, and I can look at somewhere between ten to twenty kilometers from there. I can or mileage, which everybody's you know depending on who's listening to this, because you've got listeners in all countries, so it could be somewhere between five to ten miles. If I'm looking at this, the people, the distance from that, I can control it through social media. I control every aspect of my brand. So the first thing is, if I'm going to start to build a successful gym, I've got to build my own brand. They, everybody says, oh, social media is so easy to do that. Social media is, is in many ways the easiest way to destroy your brand. And you can work for years to build a brand, but you can destroy it in just a few minutes with some lousy posts. So the first thing is, what do I want to be known for? What expert do I want to be? So if I'm going to work with, say, women over 40, and I'm going to work in uh, a town your size, I'm probably going to project this out, you know, X uh, distance from my club, and I'm going to be position myself, my personal brand as the fitness expert on women over 40 in that area. And I'm going to post on that probably six days a week or more. Um, fitness tips for that group. I'm going to start to uh, put some home workouts for that group, suggested reading for that group, links for that group. Because if I'm going to, if I want that group in my gym, I'm going to have to become the fitness expert in recognition. One of the biggest things about branding and the biggest thing that's changed in the fitness market for in the last decade is traditional marketing hardly works anymore. People want to be entertained. They want to build a relationship with people. They want to buy something from people they trust. 
And the first line of offense for that is is your ability to talk to people on social media. So if you if you send me you know a fitness tip three or four days a week, I'm following that. I'm linking to some blogs you're writing. I go to your website page once in a while because you got some cool videos and stuff I can do at home. When I'm ready to join a gym, I'm going to be ready to join your gym because you've already helped me and I've never even set foot in your gym. So the brand has to start with who you are, who you want to talk to, and almost everybody makes a mistake as they try to be everything to everybody in that level. So the, the second step is that I have to build a brand for my business, and I, I have to continually, continually, continually post uh, stuff that supports my brand, that helps people identify my brand from, from home. So if I'm scrolling through my social media and um, I'm on Facebook and I'm just scrolling down, standing in line at the coffee shop, and I see this quick video of 30 people having a great time, you know, pushing sleds and screaming and there's some crazy music with it, I might hesitate on that, but I just built a brand because I felt like, gee, everybody in town's in this gym but me. Because it, remember, we're saturating within, you know, X mileage from the, the gym itself, so we can actually start to build that identity very closely. So the brand is a combination of uh, your posts on social media, your signage, your uniforms, how you greet people, how you thank the people at the end of the workout, um, the color of your shirts. It's, it's the training and education you bring to it. It's the support and help. It's how your staff answers questions. Your brand is a thousand small things done correctly that most people just think it's social media or Facebook or something and fail to see that everything you do is your brand. Every interaction with a client is part of your brand. Every client that fails in your gym is part of your brand. Every client that's successful is part of your brand. But we don't tend to manipulate that or understand that most of that is controllable if we understand what branding is and what we're trying to accomplish with it. Okay, so Thomas, tell me, what is the um, number one ongoing mistake that you see um, club owners make with their brand and their personal brand? <laughs> For the training gym guy, you stop posting selfies. Uh, <laughs> you're not the role model you think you are. I'm saying that as <laughs> partial joke, but also partial because it's, it's, a, it's a problem when you become the product. You're not the product. You're the master coach that can help people get done. In the mainstream gyms, it's the the biggest problem they make is they they don't have any they don't have a specific target market they're searching for. So every post is look at all the new equipment we have, and here's our all new classes, and here's all this. But the the question the consumer asks now that he didn't ask ten years ago is, who is this gym for? So if I'm looking at a very large mainstream chain club in Australia, uh, the Fitness First clubs, uh, I mean, uh, they're sold, but the old Fitness First model, if, if they're marketing and they're sending out to everybody within you know, 20 miles of their place, it's, it's who's this gym for? Who should belong to this gym? I, I can't tell from your post. I can't tell from your videos. All you do is talk about classes you're ordering. It, it doesn't. If it doesn't speak to me as an individual or let me know I belong there, then I'll assume I don't belong there. So a brand kind of sets the tone for who should belong and likes attract likes. So over time, you have to, to create an identity that lets me know that this gym is designed for somebody 35 to 55 years old that wants results and 
you know, whatever we're talking about there. So the biggest mistake they make now, that's a good question, is the fact that the, it's too generic, that most branding is so generic, trying to make everybody happy, trying to appeal everybody that lives around your club and your community, and, and it just doesn't work that way anymore. You can't be everything to everybody. You have to have a specific target market for your brand for a brand to work over time. And that's where car dealerships fail, and that's where – if you're buying a Lamborghini or a Ferrari, that has a target membership. That They know who they're selling to. They know that guy, where he lives, how much he makes, what he drives now, what he's going to drive in the future, what kind of phone he has, what kind of shoes he wears. They know all that. If I sell a mainstream car that's just that generic mom-and-pop car – uh, if it has no identity, there's nobody that buys it because it doesn't – I don't associate it with me. And I have to associate the vehicle with me. Well, I have to associate the gym with me. You have to build that association for me where I know that I'm the guy that needs to buy that gym because you built that gym specifically for me or my group of people. Um, the old adage is true. 80% of your gym comes from one specific target market, meaning 80% will come from one about 15 to 20-year uh, age span, and it's usually defined by that. 80% of your members might be 35 to 55 or 40 to 60, and that 80% number is who you should market to. That's who your brand is for. But most people don't know why you exist, who you do your business for, who should belong, who should not belong, because all they do is run pictures of new, new equipment added, new classes, and here's our instructors, and here's a team shot of all our thousands of, you know, it's just, it's, it's so out of date that it's pathetic. Um, I, I, Thomas, I must say that when I speak to club owners myself, I really feel that the majority of club owners actually don't know who their members are, who their demographic are. And um, I, I feel that that's why a lot of the larger gyms assume that they need to be a, a one-stop shop. Um, how does a gym owner who's not quite knowledgeable sort of walk out into their gym and understand who their demographic is and who they're targeting um, instead of just throwing a fruit salad at the community? How can they sort of get up tomorrow morning, walk into their club and understand who their demographic is? What's the first step to knowing that? Well, the first thing I would try to do is scare the hell out of them because the, that type of uh, gym doesn't, is not sustainable. It's nothing that I can – I can't project that big box mainstream gym into the future because they're failing in almost every market in the world. Um, I just came back from uh, – I did a workshop in uh, our Brazil for 200 people. Uh, I did a show there 10 years ago. The, the hosts became friends over time, and I went back this year and did a full day for these folks. And 10 years ago, in a city of 19 million, Sao Paulo, there were no training gyms whatsoever. In one neighborhood, just one neighborhood, I passed 15 gyms in one day. And out of those 15, I visited three, and these are our next generation gyms. And I visited a couple of big, uh, you know, the box clubs, and I visited all these other smaller clubs, but still pretty target-specific units. If I was running that big box club, I'd have to look around and going, they're just, they're taking diff every, if I've got 10 different segments in my market, they're taking all 10 different sex segments just by just a few members at a time. They're just breaking the club apart. So if you're going to be a mainstream gym and you want to survive, it's not who you have in your gym now. 
It's who you're going to have in your gym in five years if you're going to stay in business. And they're seldom going to be this two, the same group of people. If I had a mainstream gym, over here, the, the world is broken apart. And uh, the good thing about American business culture is we screw things up so fast that if something doesn't work, it, it doesn't last very long because there's just so much intense competition here. But people from other parts of the country can watch here and see what we do screw up, who fails, who wins, and why. So it, here, the main, that $39 mainstream gym, the guy caught in the middle, there's the low-end guys, that, that $10 to, in your case, still 39 but the lower-end people. And then you have the upper-end, the training gyms, that get anywhere from $300 to $1,000 a month on an average. Well, that training gym is coming in your area, and that will be one of the next big things there because it's already validated all over the world. That's what the consumer wants. And there's money in Australia, and there's sophisticated buyers, and there's there's a there's a third of the population or more that would probably buy that gym. Um, the the mainstream guys have to reposition their gym, and that term is very important. Reposition means I it doesn't matter what course I'm on now, I have to change my compass direction and set a new course because what I'm doing is probably not sustainable into the future. So I, I need to switch to a training gym model. I need to add equipment that attracts that type of client. I need to upgrade my entry into trainers, put a lot more money in my trainers, a lot more money in their education. I've got to develop uh, my own systems of training within the, that system. Uh, there's so much I have to do to, to be able to move that forward that most of the guys won't do the work. Um, I, I just wrote about this today. It's, it's amazing, but uh, I was writing an article for a magazine here today, and one of the things I, I, I wrote about is every good restaurant's usually owned by a chef. There's very few restaurants in the world that are any good that are, are not owned by chefs, um, especially independent restaurants. But yet gym owners, the mainstream guys, they, they've never trained a client. They don't know how to talk to trainers. They don't know trainerese. They don't know where to – how do you even put together a system? They don't know the gurus. They don't know the big guys on that side. They don't know the trade shows those guys go to. So if you don't know any of that, what you're doing is you're in the equipment rental business. And most of the big chains, and many of them still in Australia, despite claiming to be in the fitness business, are nothing more than equipment rental companies. You know, they pay $39 a, a month, and I can go in and use a treadmill. Um, that's it. They're not, they're not fitness companies. They're, they offer fitness equipment, but they don't give anybody help because less than 6% of the, the, the gym member over there gets any help, meaning one-on-one -on -one training. So 94% of the people are doing fitness on their own. So you're not in the fitness business. You're in the equipment rental business. And so it, the, if these guys want to get relative, they want to be part of what's going to happen uh, and be relevant in the coming years, then they have to understand that their product is results, that they have to be able to get the maximum results for the maximum members in the shortest period of time and create a business system wrapped around that. They won't sell as many members, but the members that join will pay a lot more to be part of the process. And so, yeah, so question one there, it goes back to the branding and even this question, especially for the mainstream guys, is what the hell kind of business am I in? You know, what do I even sell here? And if you're going to be in the equipment rental business, then guys will take it away doing it cheaper, and guys will take your best clients away by getting results in the top end, and you're left in the middle with a failing business plan. And somebody's going to go real cheap down there and start a whole chain of these low-end clubs, and they're going to destroy the market. Uh, 
about uh, five years, six years ago, there were 27 Gold's Gems in New Jersey, uh, one of our eastern uh, Atlantic Ocean sea states here, very popular state or populated state, uh, very heavy gem numbers over the years. Uh, they had 27 Gold's there, and now there's, I think, five or six left because these guys were all priced at $39 in the middle, and they all over time either you know gave up their thing, changed it, went low, went high, went somewhere else, but they, anybody in the middle will get destroyed. So you either go low and go really cheap, and your area is probably going to go down to about $19 a month, or you got to go high and try to get 40% of your members into the training so I can show 19 but I want 40% of my members paid, involved in the training program. Both of those are good business plans, but the thing is, if you just wait and see what the hell's happened, you're going to just get hammered. It's just not going to work. Yeah, I tend to agree with you um, there, Thomas, and there's certainly a lot of um, information that you've given for uh, club owners to take on board, and I certainly like the terminology, um, the next generation um, of gyms, because I do tend to agree, and I'm seeing it in my own community. Uh, people are paying a lot of money to go to training gyms, functional um, fitness uh, venues. You know, I could honestly say that here in Australia, there's certainly not an issue with people paying sixty-five to seventy dollars a week just to rock up to a, a venue that's probably only about two hundred square meters and probably only has about you know thirty thousand dollars worth of functional training equipment. And these uh, venues are signing people up on twelve-month contracts. They're paying their their sixty-five, seventy dollars a week, and the the demographic of these people paying that amount are around that twenty-one to thirty-five. Um, age bracket so I think it's it has already landed here and I do think it's really important for uh, club owners to either get out or to make the next step and to start to uh, to change what their, their business model is about um, thank that's you fine. That, that's, fine. that's a brilliant what you just said is so important because that client is the one that has to they're why have we never seen that client before? Why are these gyms able to identify this client and the mainstream person has never been able to do it before? So there's, we, we've always assumed the client was there because of price. And what you just said is it's, it's in a very insidious thing. It's like the old frog sitting in the hot water and sooner or later he boils because he doesn't jump out. I don't know if that's true or not, but that story's been around for 100 years. But... The, the, the mainstream gym owners, the same thing is that they're, he's slowly uh, losing his best members to people. And these guys are paying two to $300 a month to be in uh, these little 200 meter gyms that it's incredible. And, but now the next step is people will pay more to be in smaller groups and people will pay outrageous money to be in one on one. The small group is where the money is. So, they're coming, they're, they're on every corner, they're going to open everywhere, and sooner or later there's a grand groundswell or tipping point where these mainstream guys are going to look around and go, we, we had the edge, we should have attacked, we should have gone for it, we could have you know, controlled our own markets, we could have been the people first with the training, instead they're going to be playing catch-up when they find themselves surrounded by 30 of those gyms. Oh, absolutely, and I think catch-up is a very expensive way to go. 
I think it's um, the, mo the most important thing is that they need to get over their fear. I think fear plays a very big role with a lot of club owners uh, here back home as to why they don't make change. They spend too much time sitting in the office thinking about um, should I or shouldn't I. I think they just need to take the step. They just need to say, you know what, this is the trend. This is what's happening. Here is the proof. People are paying it. Have a look. It's, it's happening out there. So just make the change because really what is the absolute worst scenario that can happen uh, if it doesn't turn out with a positive outcome? So I think it's the, the most important thing is to overcome the fear, to take the step. And if um, they need help, you know, to go out, get themselves a, a great fit, a fitness business coach like yourself, um, you know, speak to people that have done this already and just, just make the change because otherwise, you know what, they're just going to become the milk bar on the corner and at some stage they're going to have no choice but to either close their doors um, or just to, to sell up. So there's certainly a lot of information there that you've given the audience to think about with training gyms. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you this morning and I do appreciate your time. And uh, if anybody's got any questions, how do they get in touch with Thomas Plummer Direct? Uh, the, the, the best questions is if they've got them, it's just uh, to email you and just forward them on over and let me uh, get them back to your network. Uh, I can answer them directly in your network. I think that's a, a great thing that you're doing there. I like how everybody's getting together. I see you're adding new gems all the time to that. So I think that kind of vocal group that shares information and discussions, um, I hope that takes off and does very well because I think it's, it's needed and I think it's a great uh, resource to share. Hey, I went to this workshop. I did this. We tried this. I think that's good. So I hope that works. So the best thing you can do is just reach out to you and your network and let me answer it for everybody. And that's, uh, I think we can get the, because if somebody asks a good question, we might as well share it with the whole group. So we can certainly post those in your network as the questions come up. Sounds like a plan for the future. Thank you again for this morning's interview, Thomas. Thanks, Mel, very much. I appreciate the opportunity. I'll see you either here or there sometime soon. You sure will. Thank you. Thank you for joining the Gym Owners Podcast, sponsored and supported by National Fitness Business Alliance and Gym Click Media. Find Mel Tempest on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Join us next time for the Gym Owners Podcast.